The Business on RT Radio 1 with AIB. We know that your focus is on your business. That's why ours is on supporting you. Now, speaking of jobs and getting people back to work, my next guest business is doing just that for carers who are looking for part-time work. Count on Us Recruitment was started by Fiona O'Neill, who's travelled quite some journey uh, in her own career and in her own life to get to this point. And you're very welcome to the programme, Fiona. We'll start in the beginning. You're originally from Kilkenny, Kilkenny City, grew up. Kilkenny City, yeah, born and reared. You described yourself once as... A typical 1980s child. Yes. So when I, I see memes and things like that on Facebook and, the, you know, of the, the children nowadays, whereas back in the 80s, we were, you were sent out onto the street and you came home when you were hungry. Do you know, whereas now it's all about gaming and things like that. So I thought you meant Rick Astley and Madonna oh, or something like that. Oh, believe me, that was part of it as well. That was part of it as well. But yeah, an 80s child, like I said, I, I don't consider myself the, of the, the, the next generation, but looks like I am. And at the time... You know, you're growing up, you're talking about what it was like and people out out playing and they were different times. Mm -hmm. You decided that you wanted to go to college and you did. You went to Waterford Institute of Technology, Mm -hmm. but but it wasn't really for you. Wasn't for me at all. So after my first year... um, I, I dropped out. I was just one of those famous dropouts out of college. And um, what I realise now is that I just didn't ha- I didn't see the why behind going to college. It was part of, you know, when you do your leaving cert, it was what was expected of you to go on to college. Um, in comparison to now, there's just so many other opportunities where you can be in your 30s and go back to college. It doesn't have to be straight out of your leaving cert. Um, and I think at at the, the time of the leaving cert, a lot of people don't know their whys. They don't know why they're going to college. And when you decided to to quit and just say, it's not for me, mm-hmm. what did you want to do? Did you have a plan or was it just a case of saying, look, I feel like I've been, I'm on a conveyor belt that's going somewhere I don't want to go? Just wanted to get um, back into the working world. Just wanted to have money in my own pocket. And um, yeah, and that's what I did. Just it was my first first job was pennies do you know so now I had even when I was in college at the time it was weekend work at pennies but then I went full time into pennies from there um, but like I was 16, 17, 18 years of age um, but again like I said it was through in the working world that you realise hold on a second this piece of paper does count and I started to find my why then at that stage you know So that for you was something that took a bit of time exactly. that rethink to happen Did you enjoy pennies? I did I absolutely did and I still have friends from there like I said I was only 16 or 17 at the time or whatever age I was still have friends from there And then you went to work in insurance mm-hmm. again it was in Kilkenny in Kilkenny. Now, at the time, it was an American company, so they were called Great West Life, um, and they um, they they left Ireland um, at the time. So I was only about maybe about a year or two with them when they left Ireland. Um, so I went from pennies to Great West Life. Um, but what happened at the time? It was then VHI came into Kilkenny. So VHI um, acquired the building that was there, interviewed the staff. So, so it was just that transition. Work. Yeah. And then it, it, you were in your early twenties when you went on holiday to Turkey <laughs> and that really changed your life It did and it still has um, now people often say I was like a Shirley Valentine I met a gentleman over there and he became part of my life um, but it still is part of my life that my parents actually ended up retiring to Turkey so my parents packed their bags when they came to pension age and said right we're out of here um, so even from those early days right up until now Turkey is a big part of my life as well yeah. And you met a man there you got married mm-hmm. Yeah And you you were pregnant at yeah. the same time as you had decided 
that you were going to go back to college. Yes. So that was that was probably fairly tough, was it? Well, actually, tell a lie, the other way around. So my firstborn was only six months when I went back to college. So um, so he was six months. Um, and again, like I said, I found my why at that stage. I was still working full time. So I was in VHI working full time. Um had this newborn baby under my arm and kind of said, right, OK, I need to pull things together here now. And I did it by distance learning. So which was about four weekends in the year um, that I got, what you got? I, I still call it, it Lansdowne Road. It's still the IP on Lansdowne Road. Um, but uh, four weekends in the year that I would attend and come up and meet my lecturers and go through whatever questions I would have with them. But it was through distance learning, again, which was a brilliant option at the time because, and still is. And great to have it, but it's, it's mm, not easy. Not easy. And the relationship didn't work out. No. And you have you have two boys. Two boys. And that's where the pregnancy, so on my fourth year of doing my degree, I was eight months pregnant doing my final exams. So that's where the, the connection. So eight I was, months pregnant. Yeah. So um, so I didn't end up going to my graduation or anything because anything could have happened at any moment. <laughs> um, but again, it was that commitment. So I'm going to see this through. But again, like I said, I had that why there, which I didn't have when I was 18, you know. And your eldest son, Niall, mm-hmm. um, he has has had health issues and and that really sort of emerged. He was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when he was just five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I was working full time at that time. Um, So he was five when he was diagnosed. Um, We kind of fobbed it off for a while because he first started limping and we had put it down to he'd gotten a new scooter typical child you know they were using one leg over and over again so we brought him into hospital and um, they couldn't pick up on Anthon so we just kind of fobbed it off and it was a year later then he was admitted into St Luke's Hospital in Kilkenny that his knee actually ballooned up that he couldn't get his school uniform trousers on or Anthon and that's when he was diagnosed then so we were in the right place at the right time actually in hospital And after that other health complications emerged for him Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he has scoliosis so he's a double curve in his spine so Niall would be one of the children where we talk about the waiting list for scoliosis. Um, now he's he's older now so has is transitioning into the adult services which is brilliant but uh, like I said he's four or five years now living with pain with his scoliosis um, and even with the arthritis people assume arthritis is just joint related so Niall is actually losing his eyesight because it's inflammation in his eyes so he has had even he had his first cataract removed at 11 so people assume you have to be 70 years old to have a cataract do you know what I mean so as a child he's had a number and he's had artificial lens implants and things like that but again that's inflammation in the eyes that people don't realise so that comes with that he's been through an awful lot mm-hmm. but so have you because uh, during all of this you were you were working, you were a single mother, you were on your own mm-hmm. in a sense. And a, a lot of that diagnosis and treatment would have been very time consuming. Very. Um, and again, with everything, so between his eyes, arthritis, scoliosis, he's about five different consultants. So again, it's on the road to different consultants appointments, a physiotherapy, um, counselling, because there's the emotional side of being sick then as well. So he would go to that. Um, so it is when you say time consuming, it is, it's on the road. And being Kilkenny based, there's a lot of services that aren't locally. So again, it's having to drive to Dublin, Cork, regionally, you know. So how did you manage all of that? How did you manage work with all mm. of that? And I suppose that's what brought me on my journey. So I had asked him work, could I go maybe part time or could I job share? Um, and it was a no from work. Now, I completely understand because there was a list of people ahead of me that wanted to go part time or job share as well. So I couldn't be prioritised over everyone else. And I can completely understand that. Um, so that's when I kind of had to make the decision. Do I stay working, trying to spin all the plates or do I give up work and become his full time carer? Um, and that's what I ended up having to do. So, yeah. What kind of impact did that have on you personally? 
Um, two sides of the coin. Relief, because I could focus. Do you know what I mean? That I didn't have to worry about work on my desk and work not being done, that I could focus on his appointments and things like that. But then I suppose financially and psychologically as well, I can say that even in, in work, I had climbed the ladder. So I had, uh, um, in VHI, it was a, it was a call centre. So I had gone from being on phones in the call centre up into the part of the operations team around forecasting numbers and things like that. So um, I had you know kind of nearly lost myself that I was giving up work um, lost you know the skills that I had weren't being used so there was the kind of psychological side of having to give up work um, and then like I said the, the, the financial aspect as well The drain around that and the stress and, mm-hmm. and a lot of the worry as well mm-hmm. I'm sure that, that began to take its toll you, you, you found that you were drinking a lot Yeah absolutely and a lot of people do as in um do you know that you, you would think to yourself, God, today you know, was a hard day. I'll get home and put the feet up in front of the telly when the kids are gone to sleep and have have a, a glass of wine or two. Do you know? And, and a lot of people are doing it across Ireland and people are kind of fobbing it off. But it's just when it happens every evening, people don't realise that it does that happen. No more than a habit, a good habit is a good habit. It creeps in, a bad habit creeps in as well. And it could just crept in a lot, um, unknowns to me. Um, and At like what point did it become known to you or did you feel that this was going the wrong way or could be a problem? Um, honestly, again, it was the, the mental health side of things. So again, stress, um, but... Uh, it was a, through a friend of mine that a friend of mine contacted my my family and said, Fiona's not in a good place. Um, I suppose I start, and people don't realise again, it's like how alcohol affects the brain. I felt I was letting my children down and it was a vicious circle. Um, I was no more letting my children down from the person beside me. I was doing everything for them, but I couldn't see that I was doing my best for them. Um, but again, it's how alcohol affects the, the mind. Um, so it was my friend who contacted my family and said she's not in a good place. And that's when I, the eyes were opened. It wasn't just the the mental health or the emotional side of it or the coping side. That's when I realised, hold on a second, now the crux of this is the drink. And, and did someone in the family say it to you? Did your friend say it to you directly? Um, not directly about the, the alcohol. It was about, Fiona, you're not coping well. You know, you're not. Um, but it was through it was through the HSC that I went for appointments and got help there. But it was when I really drilled down into it, discovered, well, actually, I could cope an awful lot better when the drink wasn't involved. Because life is hard for everyone, even paying mortgages and paying bills and even just worrying about projects in work is hard. But I'm telling now, having a few drinks on top of it does not make it easier. And the idea of having a few glasses of wine in the evening, mm. you can sort of convince yourself that that is coping. This yeah. is helping. I'm going to unwind. Yeah. But also for you, people will often talk about the dangers of, of, of drinking at home. Yeah. That it can actually, kind of unbeknownst to people, slide versus going out. Yeah. You probably weren't in a position to go out. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, but exactly as you said, you feel that... It is the de-stressor when in, in fact you wake up the next day and even though you might not have a hangover, people assume drinking problem is to do with blackouts and hangovers. But even to wake the next morning and go, God, it's not tomorrow already. Or to be tired or just to even to be narky with even colleagues. You know, if someone is stressing you out from work, that's all back to the drinks the night before. But people don't make that connection. People also don't want to maybe face up to mm-hmm. whatever the reality has become. Was mm-hmm. that difficult for you? Um, no. To me it was a godsend because I knew I couldn't continue the way I was continuing. So to start putting the pieces of the jigsaw together for me was 
was the be all and end all. Um, because for a long time, I couldn't put the pieces of the jigsaw together. I was wondering, why is this happening to me? And like said, exactly as you said, when you have the few drinks, even as a single mammy, I wasn't leaving the house, um, feeling so guilty in myself that, God, if one of the kids now got sick during the night, I'm after having two or three drinks, I can't get to the hospital. And then again, it was that the thoughts would kick in about, I'm such a bad mother. Do you know? And again, it's this vicious circle, you know. But even um, the statistics out at the moment about drink driving, like it's the next morning. People don't realise that there's still alcohol in your bloodstream the next morning, you know. And when you decided to to tackle it head on, mm-hmm. how, how did that go? Did, did you talk to AA? You said you went to the HSE. Yeah, yeah, no. I laugh. I went to the AA. Um, I, I used to go to two meetings a week, but I often I laugh now when I think, think back to it. They were an awful lot more fixed than I was. It was like everyone at the meeting was further on down their journey. So I would actually leave the meeting feeling worse because I kind of went well I'm never going to be as good as they are they seem to have their lives sorted so I was actually feeling worse so that's when I ended up went to my GP and my GP referred me to, to um, services through the HSE um, and again it was through an awful lot of therapy um, because like I said we have everyone has stress in their life different circumstances where whether it be family whether it be work you just get to the crux of well, what's causing this um, and even for me now I need to check in it's still a challenge sometimes is that I need to check in with myself is that if I get some sort of little longing, um, well, where is this coming from? Am I lonely? Am I upset about something? Um, even when it comes to business sometimes because of with, with, and I know we'll be talking about that when I do business pitches or things like that. If I get a no answer, making sure that I don't take it personally. Do you know what I mean? That I, and again, there's a lot of people out there that deal with that. And you don't, you don't drink at all. At now. all. And you, are, would you be fearful of because it sounds as if from what you said there that there's a part of you that would be fearful about having a drink. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's all part of my journey because I don't want to go back to being that person I was. Having left your job to mm-hmm. be in a position to be able to to help your son Niall and, mm-hmm. and manage all of that, it was really around that area that you got the idea for for the business yeah. because you were a carer, you wanted to get back to work. How, how did that? Yeah. Um, and I suppose, it, as I just mentioned about loneliness, that's one of the things that family carers do, it, it, the, that mental health piece. So I wanted to get back out into doing something myself. Um, so I started on my journey to try and find something part time. As I said, I had skills to give. I had my degree gotten. I had come from the corporate background. I just felt I was lost to myself. So I started to look for my own part time job. Um, at the time, um, uh, carers allowance is what we receive. As, and again, it needs to be means tested. So there's hundreds of thousand family carers out there not on carers allowance. But at the time, it was 15 hours you were allowed to work. So I was trying to find something that was 15 hours. Could not find anything for love nor money that was 15 hours. Because the employers wanted more than 15 yeah, hours? Yeah, Um So even if it was part-time, usually it's 21 or 24. Um, looking at full-time only, even though everything on the job spec is something I could deliver. Um, so could not find. And so I realised, well, if I'm finding it this hard, I'm sure there's thousands of other family carers that are finding it hard to find jobs too. So you looked at doing the same thing and finding employers for carers who at the, at the moment is it is it 18 18 hours? and a half 18 hours, and a half hours per week yeah. they can work yeah so how how does the the business count on us recruitment work then so um so exactly like that as you said it's so a family carer now when i say carers allowance so there's 120,000 family carers in Ireland um that are registered for to have carers allowance now like i said is means tested so there's again hundreds of thousands of family carers that don't even qualify for carers allowance because maybe of a partner's income so um CSO wise there's 500,000 family carers in Ireland. 
So um, what we do is we help those family carers find 18 and a half hour job so that might involve even um, contact an employer who would have we'll say a 24 hour job to say well if a family carer with the right qualifications the right skills that you're looking for was to apply for the job and get interviewed now not you know don't take it easy on a family carer still interview them the exact same way as you're going to interview everyone else but if they're the ones who score highest in the interview are you open to 18 and a half hours for them So a minor accommodation on the hours could make it happen and work for both sides. It's a win-win, yeah. Setting up a business, lots of people can have a, an idea and see a niche mm. and say that this, this could really work. But then when you actually are in the hot seat, did you find running a business hard? Very much so. And still do. And that's why it's so it's so important to surround myself with the right people. Um, so um, whether it be networking um, events that I go to, a lot of incubator programmes that I've been through as well, that I've been able to, that I've been linked up with coaches, um, that our business now actually has its own board of directors put in place. So again, because when you're starting out as an entrepreneur, you only have yourself to brainstorm things from. So even if it be documents that I'm writing, to have someone to say, okay, you need to take all that out. Do you know, I often say is that as people can probably pick up, I'm a talker. So when it's when you're you're putting papers together and they say it's you know tar- three hundred words, if you can say it in twenty, you don't need to say three hundred. You know, so if having people. That around me and say, you know, you don't need to say all that, cut that back. It's like um, I, I, I wrote a long letter because I didn't have time to write a short one. You put it all in. Um, so, but to have people around me like that. So like I said, through incubator programmes, through other entrepreneurs that I can say, well, do you know what? You know, who are you with with your insurance? You know, all those little bits. So with the people you're working with and, and you have a number of employees yeah. now and the business has grown, it's a social enterprise. Mm-hmm. So you earn, you earn income from the companies that you can place people with. Yeah. And... What about on the other side then for the carers themselves? I'm sure many of them maybe have been out of the mm-hmm. out of the, the workplace for quite a while. Is is it a bit of a battle to get back in? So we and there's the two revenue streams. So as you said, with the companies where we place people with, but that's where the collaboration comes with charities around Ireland. So they would will say many charities, everyone kind of has their own cohort of people. So it could be Down syndrome, it could be Alzheimer's, could be um, acquired brain injury, whatever it may be. They would say, okay, well, we want to help maybe 20 of our family carers on our database get back into work. And that's where we, when we do workshops then with the family carers about those things, about the the skills that they don't see that they have. Like family carers who maybe like that have been out of work for 10 years, that they have transferred, a lot of people refer to them as soft skills, but they have these skills that they can give, whether it be time management, or diary management or whatever it be. Would an employer say, yes, I'd love to have that person uh, who is now a carer. I I advertise for 21 or 22 hours, Mm -hmm. but we'll do 18 and a half. But would the employer say, I'm afraid that because that person is a carer, there's going to be a phone call that something's gone wrong with the person they're caring for and it's all going to be difficult and they don't want that hassle. Does that happen? Absolutely. And that, that's it's a, it's a stigma that we're trying to shake. So the conversations that we have with employers would be, and they do they say that, that well, like if Mary gets a phone call at 11 o'clock that she needs to go out and check on her dad, where does that leave me? So what I'd normally say to an employer, well, what's your policy for everyone else in the company that could get that phone call? Because people could get a phone call, maybe a child is after getting sick in the crash or the smoke coming out of your back kitchen or 
anyone could get that phone call. So not to stereotype family carers with getting that phone call that anyone could get. CEO of a company might need to step out for an hour or two. And and in that situation, they would accommodate the employee. They might begin to raise a question if it happened so many times or on a recurring basis. But but you're saying just just treat everyone the same. Treat everyone the same. It's not. And um, and that's one thing that we often say is that a family carer, when it comes to even staff retention, um, that when a family care is looked after by an employee, that when those flexibility pieces are put in place, that employee is there long term with that employer. So from a retention point of view, it's that when you look after them, the, the family carer will look after the, the employer when it comes to do, getting work done. So even if they do need to step out for an hour or two, you can still guarantee the work will be done because of that piece that comes back to the employer themselves. Well, congratulations, Fiona, on everything you've done yeah. and uh, what, you. what you're doing for carers as well is fantastic. Fiona O'Neill, uh, founder of Count On Us Recruitment. Thank you very much thank for joining you very us on much. the programme.